Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I wanna welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And our title is The Goals Most Leaders Overlook, Part Two. The Goals Most Leaders Overlook, Part Two. Now, last week was Part One, and I just dealt with one goal that most leaders overlook, and I'd say it's the first one, and that is ourselves, uh, our own discipleship and formation in Jesus, our own following of Christ, Christ being formed in us. That the number one thing of all that we that we are conformed to the image of Jesus, that like David said in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And here's David to me, is such a great model, a man after God's own heart, with all the responsibilities he has as king uh, and military commander. He's got armies trying to attack him, crush the city, but for no- number one for him was seeking the face of God and growing. So that's number one. But now let's move into really what I have only four more uh, to share with you today in this podcast. But before I do that, let's just talk for a moment about vision uh, to kind of introduce this uh, part two. Leaders uh, have a vision, have a picture of a preferable future. Uh, Hopefully we get a vision from God and then we set some goals and priorities to get there. If you read any leadership book or most leadership books, secular or Christian, they will talk to you about the need for a vision. Uh, Proverbs 28, 19, people without a vision, you know, perish, don't know where to go. They're unrestrained. They're running off in all direction. And so vision is essential for effective leadership. That applies to whether it's a church, a nonprofit, a parachurch, family, you name it, marketplace. And hopefully that vision comes out of who we are and who God is. Uh, the challenge is now, what what next? And uh, But there's some missing pieces of that vision. I recently became friends with a... Uh, Todd Wilson, who leads Exponential, one of the leaders and founders of, of Exponential. It's a great ministry to help multiply uh, churches and church planters that multiply churches and church planters. And their vision is, is a wonderful vision. And less than 4% of the churches right now in the United States actually reproduce. They want to move that percentage to uh, 11% or 16%. Uh, you know, a revolution in, in, in uh, you know, for the church for the next uh, century, the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. It's a fantastic vision. And I love visions. I, I, I'm i in touch with denominations and other movements uh, filled with vision to plant hundreds or thousands of new churches. Uh, new York City itself is in the midst of a, a lot of new churches being planted. It's, it's great because New York City is in the midst of its own shift and revolution of uh, changing as a city, and, and there is a need for new churches being planted. And I'm in touch with a number of them. I think it's fantastic. Uh, uh, I love listening to and being in touch with leaders from all around the world, uh, from small towns to rural areas, uh, from Latin America to the Mideast to Africa with, with a vision. Uh, I love being in touch with parachurches, with visions and nonprofits that, that were birthed out of an unmet need and now have uh, formed goals and teams to, to move to, to meet that need. I mean, my history... When I came to Christ, early on, I, I went on staff with Varsity Christian Fellowship, and my role was to start new Christian fellowships on campuses where there was not a Christian witness. And I remember uh, just being so filled with vision, confronting my limits, of course, in the process, but wanting to plant Christian fellowships on every campus in the New York City, New Jersey area that did not have a witness for Christ. Uh, but that vision just would propel me. And I remember reading the epistles of Paul and just being, you know, so excited and working, of course, like a maniac and then starting New Life Fellowship and a church among the urban poor, uh, 
bridging racial, cultural, economic, gender barriers, but with a vision to plant other churches and all around the city, et cetera. And uh, so vision is wonderful and uh, important. And then we have goals that reach that vision. Now, there are people more gifted and experienced than myself that have written a lot, written a lot of good stuff and can help you in crafting a vision that comes out of how God's uniquely made you. The challenge, however, is that visions can become yokes and our goals can become heavy yokes. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, but somehow as we move along in leadership, following a vision and dream, uh, that yoke can become hard and heavy. And we can gain the whole world, as Jesus said, and lose our own soul. In fact, as Galatians 4 talks about, it, we can become enslaved all over again by actually powers and principalities. You know, in Galatians 4, 9, and 10, Paul speaking to the Galatians who have come under a legalism and lost the grace and purity of, and, and the, of the gospel. And he goes, how is it that you are turning back, he writes, to those weak and miserable principles? And weak and miserable principles is a reference to demonic powers. Don't you wish, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And uh, it's interesting, I can apply that to leadership and how so often I, we can find ourselves enslaved by our own visions and goals and what was once a joy and an overflow of passion and love for Jesus as we serve him as leaders suddenly becomes a yoke and heavy and we want to get out of it uh, to save our soul. Remember this, as Romans 14, 17 says, for, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I, I would shift that a bit, and I think this is also true, for leadership in the kingdom of God is not a matter of goal setting and vision, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There is a way to do uh, leadership, a way we do goals and visions that is, a, that is different than uh, the secular world because of the kingdom of God, because of Jesus. So let me just share with you now four other goals or priorities that we tend to overlook. And I use the word goal priorities with goals interchangeably. A wise mentor uh, once made a very strong argument to me that perhaps a better word than here's our goals for the year is saying, here's our priorities for the year, uh, less heavy of a yoke. And uh, I like that. And so I, I've been trying to integrate that myself over the last few years. So here's a second goal that most leaders overlook. The first one is, is us, our own development. The second is this, that each person on my team whether staff or key volunteers, is blossoming in their own discipleship and formation in Jesus. That each person on my team is actually blossoming, growing, flourishing in their own personal walk with Jesus, their own growth as a disciple of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about just, you know, encouraging them to do it, but you actually invest time and energy uh, as a priority to help them form that plan. Now, in part one of this podcast last week, I talked about what we need to do for ourselves. Now, basically, is you're bringing that to them. Uh, you want them to flourish personally and in their marriage or singleness and that they have a plan, you know, a rule of life, and you, you're there to help them think about it. And again, most folks come into leadership and they're concerned about their performance, just like we are, their outer activity. And don't get that who you are is more important than what you do. And all of your outer work is going to be informed by your inner work. And so that's a, that, that takes thoughtfulness. And you can now do it with them out of your own life. How is God leading them? What's God's invitation to them at this season of their life in terms of study, in terms of learning, in terms of scripture? What might be God's invitation with regards to mentoring for them? People that they need to be learning from uh, outside of your tribe. Uh, 
How about their marriage or their singleness? And uh, that's why it's a it's a budget item where we actually invest money for people to get developed to whether it's go to conferences, whether it's go to therapy. I'm a big believer in people getting you know, therapy, counseling, because leadership is a pressure cooker. Uh, volunteer or not, it brings up issues and cracks in our armor that otherwise are not exposed. And so it requires a higher level of maturity to be in leadership. And again, the larger the ministry, the more complex, the greater formation needed uh, for that leader. And so uh, the second overlooked goal has to do with that. I'm actually concerned about their personal formation, uh, their development in, in Christ. And so I, I want to get to know their stories uh, a bit. And so that's why things like genogram are so important. They're family of origin, going back three to four generations, major earthquake events they may have been through. And I get to know people's vulnerabilities. And here's just a few I've encountered over the years. And, and uh, even people I work with now, I'm, 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 it helps me help them develop a plan for their own walk with Jesus. And I want to reinforce it in, in supervision uh, or as functioning as a team. So whether it's uh, one person having difficulty being present uh, to others, again, a leader, gifted uh, but being present, actually seeing people as a thou, uh, speaking in the eye, uh, accessing their brokenness and vulnerability, very challenging. So that becomes a part of my own time with them, asking that kind of a question. Begin to ask questions that are going to help them in their own formation. Again, what question would you love someone to be asking you every month or every week for your own formation in Christ? Uh, another person I, uh, I'm thinking about who comes out of a lot of legalism, both in her, in her family of origin and in her church background. And so accessing grace and joy in Jesus, a big issue for her own development. Uh, another fellow, just defensiveness, highly defensive, gets triggered easily, uh, interprets people's critique or suggestions as personal attack, is a major issue. And so I ask about that in, in, in supervision. Uh, another who is tends to be uh, gloss over painful realities, uh, not want to ask hard questions because it might lead to places he prefers not to go. And so getting into that kind of hard reality, grief, loss, big challenge uh, for him. And so it becomes in part also of our time together. And I'll ask, I'll ask questions about that. Or uh, you know, someone else who came out of an abused background, doesn't do self-care very well, uh, fun, Sabbath, joy. Uh, so so even taking time to even for their own personal growth, they have to feel like they have to earn earn it, like they kill themselves so they can actually take the time to invest in themselves. And so that becomes a question I'm asking, how's it going? What's self-care? What are you doing with yourself? Again, it goes on. But the key is I'm giving them honest feedback along the way. I'm reinforcing what they believe and joining them in what they believe God's calling them to grow into. And uh, I want them accessing other resources outside of myself. And so I'm actually modeling then at the same time for those who I'm working with, uh, healthy, mature, I think, supervision that I pray and trust they will do it with others. If you're not modeling it, they're not going to do it either. And so I was very careless about this second overlooked goal uh, for years uh, in my leadership. And believe me, it always comes back to you because problems don't go, just go away. And uh, and and I, I became finally, as I moved into this emotionally healthy leadership journey, uh, careful, thoughtful, and prudent and realize, no, they are part of the work that God has called me to. And it's not just a task they're commissioned to do, but their own formation. It's a lot of work. 
Uh, they're, but they're not a means to get the work done. They actually are the work to which God has called you. And so you want to begin asking questions such as, you know, how's it going with your rhythms of being with God and doing for God? How are you living out your rule of life in this season? Uh, you know, how's God coming to you? What's he saying to you? How's your singleness? How's your marriage uh, going? And uh, so I might ask a single person something like, how are you creating delight in your life and setting healthy boundaries? How are you cr cultivating close relationships? And to marriage, uh, you know, how is your spouse, uh, your marriage? What are you doing to proactively invest and lead out of your marriage as a sign and wonder? Uh, I'll ask a question such as tell me one to three top goals you've got, you know, or, or priorities for yourself and what challenges are you facing and how maybe can I, can I serve you in that? And, uh, and then what are some next steps for your development and growth, both personally and in your area? Now, I, I, I'm looking for people that will take initiative. I want to create a culture where people are taking initiative. Just like we say, we want people not living off our own spirituality, but having their own personal relationship with Jesus. So in the same way, I want leaders and volunteers and staff who are actually cultivating their own walk with Jesus, um, their, their own development plan and taking initiative and, and learning. Uh, okay, so that's number two. The third goal we tend to overlook is this that our team or our leadership, that we actually model the quality of life in Jesus that we want to give away. We actually model and are living out what we're seeking to see happen with others. We are the culture we want to create. In other words, I'm not just pushing to get goals done. Uh, you know, I'm actually concerned about how we operate, how we function, the quality of, in my case, when I was lead pastor, it was our board, our pastoral staff. Uh, the way we did relationships, the level of uh, openness as a community, that there were less and less elephants in the room that we were afraid to talk about. We're spending time with Jesus. We've got unity of purpose and vision. We're clear about our roles and job descriptions and our contributions to the larger whole. But I'm thinking culture, that we, how is our culture as, as a team? Uh, because that is what we are going to reproduce. That's what we can talk about a lot of things, but how can we create a healthy larger culture if we ourselves as a team are not being the very culture we want to create. So it, it includes things like a slow down spirituality, integrity, uh, you know, passionate marriages and singleness, healthy community, we're missional and focused. This takes a lot of thought. This takes intentionality. Uh, yes, there are some practical issues like, you know, how will I do this? And do we have retreats? Do we, do I have people one-on-one -on -one over at my house for lunch? How do I structure staff meetings? How do we do informal times? How do we divide up our, our time together? Yes. Uh, but it's the thoughtfulness, not just in those kind of decisions, but even in how we function and how we operate. So for example, conflicts become discipleship opportunities. And I, and I see those tension points as gifts for growth. Uh, now this is challenging stuff. So I remember, for example, uh, having some young leaders who seemed to, it happened to me actually three times, and where I, there, there was clearly some transference going on. Uh, they were visionaries, headstrong, and was getting all this pushback and almost like um, uh, I was triggering them. Uh, and so I finally went to a, a friend who was a PhD you know, therapist and said, what is going on there? And he ended up asking me some questions about their family of origin and talking about transference and lines of authority and how unresolved material from our families of origin gets triggered, especially with authority figures over us. And uh, But I had to do some learning about how do I operate in those situations? Um, and so when it comes to money and power and lines of authority, 
make no mistake about it, a healthy team is no small task. And uh, so we want to become that culture that we want to reproduce with health and kingdom relationships. But remember, people are going to do relationships on your team the way they did in their family of origin, unless they've done a lot of inner work. I'm talking about the way they make complaints, the way they uh, do anger, uh, the way they do conflict, clean fighting, dirty fighting, where they speak. Do they speak clearly, directly, respectfully, you know, honestly, in a timely fashion? How they listen, if they listen. Their level of self-awareness, their, their, the degree to which they blame versus take responsibility. Uh, th these are all major discipleship issues, and they're all going to crop up in, in, in your team. And so leadership, again, is a pressure cooker because all kinds of projections and transferences happen around authority. Uh, again, paid or unpaid, uh, unresolved dynamics from our families of origin and earthquake events are going to emerge. And so I personally got tired of recycling the same old problems in leadership. And so that's why uh, part of the reason that we developed the uh, emotionally healthy discipleship was because they, how, we got, I got to get at this material. And so uh, so even the, the skills, which are part of the emotionally healthy relationships course, they became a life and death of how we're going to operate as a leadership in the new family of Jesus. And uh, I wanted to create expectations and language and skills for a common culture in the new family of Jesus, beginning with us as a leadership. And I wanted to reinforce it. And uh, many of you have read the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, and there's a chapter there on culture and team building. And people love the chapter. What they don't understand is that that underneath building a culture and a team uh, is skills, is uh, a common language, is reinforcement. And so if you are not familiar with the Emotionally Healthy Leadership course, uh, let me encourage you to get a hold of that. And it really is the, the culmination of our 23 years in this journey of emotionally healthy discipleship. And you know, we, we generally are trying to bring, you know, we're bringing this to the church around the world. But let me just encourage you right now to get it for you and your team. Uh, because if you can't operate in a healthy way, in a mature way, in a deeply transformed way in Jesus, uh, you're not as a leadership going to be able to give that away to others. Uh, it has to be in you and your leadership. And so in especially the, uh, I think of the, again, the relationships course where we ended up identifying and building out eight skills over, you know, a 21-year period that became our lifeblood as a leadership. And again, things such as clean fighting and clarifying expectations and stop mind reading and things we call ladder of integrity. I believe I did a podcast about that last year but they become tools of leadership that then we bring it to the people that we serve. So let me encourage you, come to a training on how do I, you know, how do I uh, actually do this emotionally healthy discipleship course, you know, part one and two, whether it's live stream or by April or May of 2019, it will be a downloadable that you can get off our website, but uh, you want to do it as a team and begin to actually live it. Uh, be that healthy model you want to bring uh, to others. Here's the fourth goal that we tend to overlook. It's prayerfully and thoughtfully helping each member of your team or leadership define success for their area of responsibility. It's prayerfully and thoughtfully helping each member of your team define success for their area of responsibility. This is very difficult. Now, it's very easy to say, oh, here's a number. Uh, you know, you're, you've had, you know, 15 small groups, make it 25 by next year. You have 30 kids in the youth group, make it 60. And we just throw numbers out there. Uh, that we think are realistic but challenging and uh i'll just suggest to you very kindly that's that may be an easy way out uh 
I'm talking about wrestling with what is God's definition of success for their area of responsibility. Now, let me try to unpack that a little bit uh, because there's some things you got to keep in mind here. Uh, theologically, as you, because it's prayerfully and thoughtfully helping them get to a place saying, how do I measure success for this area that God's given me to be responsible for? Whether it's children's church, whether it's youth ministry, whether it's a small groups, whether it's worship or celebration, maybe it's administration or finance or discipleship or missions. So here's some factors you got to keep in mind, things such as, you know, limits. You know, Jesus accepted the limits of the Father. He took God into account in everything. Human shall not live by bread alone. He didn't try to manipulate or force God's hand. Do not test the Lord your God. He refused to conflate his work for God with God himself, worship the Lord your God and him only. So there are temptations as we define success. We've got to be careful not to step over. We want to always keep in mind that God is our goal, Psalm 27.4. We want to always ask the question, what is God saying? Nothing's more important than that. We also want to discern the seasons a particular ministry is in or a church is in. Not every season is spring and summer harvest. God does have winters for us at times. There are times of God's pruning, John 15. Uh, we want to be faithful in the boring seasons. I, I was talking with a fellow just recently who's his church in the middle of a big building project. He's raising money. And uh, it is not a time of, I was encouraging him, it's not a time of like expecting explosive growth. I mean, you're, it's a tough season, actually, because you're, uh, you're calling people to invest their treasure in your vision. And uh, a few people may say, I'm not ready to invest my treasure in this vision yet. I don't, I'm, I don't believe in it that much. And uh, so you want to just be aware of what season are we in. You want to have a long view of what you're building and getting to a place where you're not driven by anxiety or fear. At the same time, you want to be sensitive to people's history and story. And again, some folks coming out of a performance-driven shame culture, it's never enough. Uh, maybe others are coming out of a thing of entitlement. You owe me. God owes me. And so we want to just take some of these factors into account as we seek to uh, discern what's God's definition of success for them in their area. This was very hard for me to accept initially because uh, I didn't like slowing down. And uh, I was often comparing myself with other ministries in my early years. And, uh, and so in particular, when I was lead pastor at New Life, I was wrestling, how do I define success? And so here's three areas. Now, again, I was lead pastor of a church. Um, and uh, here's three fact three signs i had for myself or or markers and uh, i'll i'll give it's just an example and it came out again of our context the first was success is when people are transformed deep beneath the surface of their lives was one you know they they are prioritizing um you know not just we weren't just looking for numerical growth but actually some qualitative spiritual formation uh shifts and so we we wrestled with how do we uh how do we measure that and so we began to point out some things like, and actually you can find this a partial, this list in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book um, under planning and decision-making. But, you know, each leader, for example, at New Life will develop his or her relationship with God by spending 10 to 30 minutes uh, in prayer and scripture in the morning and a few additional minutes of prayer and reflection in the afternoon or evening. And, uh, you know, we could, we could, we could grab hold of that, of leaders. We could, you know, we had a large church. We thought that we can, we can, uh, we can monitor that our staff and board and key leaders will slow down their lives by practicing Sabbath for a 24-hour period each week. And we, okay, we couldn't do everybody in the church, but we could we could measure that. Every member of our pastoral and administrative staff team will consistently integrate emotionally healthy skills into their ministries and relationships. That each member at New Life will develop a personal rule of life to enable them to receive and give the love of God, and they'll share this at their membership interview. 
uh, that, you know, we, we put 85% of our members will connect in a small group or ministry as part of their formation. The reality is we, we, we again, some of these percentages were, were too high. We had to, we had to monitor it. So again, so it wouldn't become a yoke. Every child or teenager will participate in a, in a discipleship small group with an appointed leader. Uh, 50% of married couples will go through training to view their relationship uh, as a living sign of God's passionate love for the world. So again, some are easier to measure than others, uh, but it's it's vitally important we just recognize humbly that, hey, our, we, we're limited in, quote, measuring a person's transformation in the image of Jesus. I mean, I try to imagine Jesus trying to measure the 12 disciples' formation in year number two. People are not widgets. Uh, they're not things or products. They're, they're human beings made in the image of God. And so we approach every measurement task with humility and gentleness. Uh, but we give it a shot uh, and we try to help our people get, you know, with that as well. For us, success also was secondly, bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. Again, part of our location, part of our unique calling in God to be a multiracial international church. We've got 75 countries here, but we were these divides of race, culture, economics, gender, we, we had felt a particular calling to be a prophetic witness of the, of the power of the gospel. And so that has huge implications for us in terms of our priorities and time. Uh, another one was serving our community and the world. We're in one of the poor areas of Queens, uh, New York City here, and we, want, and we wanted to be a church of the poor, not just for the poor. Uh, and so it caused us to make some shifts. They built a couple of large uh, homeless, they took some hotels in our area and filled it with... Um, homeless population of New York. Uh, and so it really caused us to make a shift in some of the things we invested our money in and time is and mobilization of our people. Uh, and so again, we were you can just get a sense here. There's more than simply numbers. Uh, and we had to define what is our unique call for us as a church. And so even emotionally, the discipleship is now a parachurch ministry that I'm leading out of our ministry at New Life Fellowship. Uh, you know, one of our key factors is what we do, we do quality. Uh, what we produce, we don't do it necessarily quickly, but it's of high quality as a gift to the larger church. So remember, there's only one church in the world, and your local ministry and mine is only one small of that, one small part of that. You know, the Nicene Creed uh, says, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And when they crafted that in the fourth century, that was to discern what does Orthodox biblical Christianity teach? What's the parameters of that? And one is that that to think that you're the whole church is heresy, that we are part of one holy, set apart by God, Catholic by uni Catholic and small c, universal, and it's based on the scriptures and the apostles. So the, so I come out of the evangelical stream, you know, charismatic Pentecostal stream. We have Orthodox churches, we got Roman Catholic churches, we got house churches, we got churches all over the globe and from refugee camps to the Mideast to Latin America to underground churches to you know African churches to you know Chinese church movement, you know, in China. I mean, there's so much going on. God has a big thing going on. And we've each got a small part of it. And in our own location, our own season, our own town, our own city, and we're part of a larger whole that's much bigger than us. So you want to relax, discern, ask God, Lord, what is your priorities for us, oh God? And uh, what does success look like for us in our particular location at this season of our history? And then finally, here's a fifth goal we tend to overlook, is that it, is that we are each involved, again, as a leadership, as our team, in the slow, painful work of Jesus in discipling, mentoring, and giving ourselves away to a few others. 
that we're involved in that slow, painful work of Jesus, of discipling, mentoring, giving ourselves away to a few others. That is very difficult to do in the church, small or large. Uh, it's just so easy to be programmatic, kind of a trained technician, just get the job done for Jesus. And the reason this is so important, and, and I want to keep that before uh, our leadership in particular, is because Jesus did it. He did it with the 12. Uh this is success that we are actually making disciples. I mean, the Great Commission is going make disciples, uh, who then make disciples. We're not building crowds; we're we're building disciples of Jesus. And this is very slow. You can't get to everyone. It, again, it confronts us with limits. It takes a lot of time, and who has time? And then you find out some people don't work out. And uh, and and so for Jerry and I in our basement for years. Uh, we just, uh, when I was lead pastor at New Life, we had a group in our basement that was our discipleship group. We mentored a few, uh, regardless of everything else going on at the church. And even now, at emotionally, at the discipleship, uh, we are moving more and more to mentoring the few uh, beyond everything else we're doing here uh, as a ministry. But people will do what they experience with others. And if you'll, you choose to make the decision to mentor the few, uh, and you and you help your leaders do the same, make that a priority, that is success. It's a great measurement of success. Uh, it's just not very showy and doesn't look necessarily great. And sadly, then you have people that don't work out. And uh, not all the people worked out for Jesus either uh, in Judas quitting. So the, all five of these goals that we tend to overlook, I want to invite you to prayerfully consider them and adjust your priorities. I'm going to review them one more time from part one and, and then today's podcast. Uh Again, goals that we as leaders tend to overlook. Investing in our own development and growth in Jesus is the first. Number two is that each person on my team is blossoming in their own relationship with Jesus as a disciple. Uh, number three, that, that our team is modeling the quality of life in Jesus that we want to give away to other people. We're actually modeling the culture we want to create. A fourth uh, goal is we prayerfully and thoughtfully help each member of our team or leadership define success for their area of responsibility. Uh, and uh, and finally, that we move each person on our team to be involved also in discipling, mentoring, and giving themselves away uh, to a few other people. So remember, listen, this is a lot. Uh, you know, we, we God has limits for us, right? We, we cannot do everything. We are not God. God is God. And our tendency is to put too much to do in too little time. We get anxious. Our, our stomachs get into a knot. So take a deep breath. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I trust I've given you a few things to think about in this podcast, to pray about. Um, so thankful you listened to us uh, today uh, here at Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Let me invite you to learn more. Go to the emotionallyhealthy.org website and join us in the slow work of multiplying deeply changed leaders and disciples for the sake of God's work around the world as we are now in the third thousand year advance of the church. Let's Jesus come sooner than that. So God bless you, everybody. Have a great day.